0: Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Wild Womb Podcast. This is Episode 9. This episode is a super informative episode about all things breastfeeding with Leanne O'Connor, who's a New York City-based IBCLC and longtime La Leche League leader. And IBCLC is, the best way I can describe it, is kind of the doctor of breastfeeding. They know everything and are the people that work in hospitals or come to your houses and help you navigate everything that could possibly be wrong or going well or just the leaders of breastfeeding, basically. Um, I consider Leanne to be the queen of breastfeeding here in New York. She's a total reservoir for resources and knowledge on the matter. Breastfeeding is so cool as you'll hear in this episode. I even got to learn things in this conversation. This topic has a lot of weight and can feel a variety of ways for people and we talk about that and don't feel like this episode is judgmental at all. It's really just trying to get the information out there and tell the truth and if you haven't been able to breastfeed It's no, no, no judgment whatsoever about you. I'd really love to hear from you and hear your feelings on the matter. Um, the biggest issue I find is that people don't have the support and resources they need. And hopefully with this, you can learn that they're out there and these are the ways you get help. Um, Breastfeeding has a really long history tied up with politics and capitalism, and has also changed a lot over time in correspondence with the changing tides of feminism. This all plays a big role in how successful people are at it. It's really fascinating. We unpack a lot here. We talk about normalizing breastfeeding, toddler nursing, and all the amazing qualities of milk. There are so many resources out there for support if you know where to look. Leanne definitely encourages getting to a La Leche League meeting. In the doula community, we are working to build more support and education about breastfeeding to increase success and ease. The benefits are endless. Feel free to reach out for support, referrals, and resources. I've linked Leanne's info and the La Leche League website in the show notes. And really, really do reach out and look for a La Leche League meeting near you or in your city, and if you need help finding one, I'm so happy to help you. As always, tell me your feelings. I'd love to hear from you. And without further ado, here is Leanne. Um. So normally how I, I go into this is just kind of getting a little bit of background on you and um, what you do and how you got here and then kind of get more into breastfeeding stuff. Sure. Sure. Okay, cool. So, um, yeah, we can just go ahead and start if you're comfortable with that. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. Okay. Great.
1: So um, how I got started? Well, when I had my first baby, um, I was a little bit overwhelmed, uh, as many first-time moms are. With breastfeeding and um it was a little challenging at first but once we got into like a nice rhythm i i really enjoyed it yeah. um it was it was hard my sister-in-law my brother's wife had told me to um when i was feeling sort of isolated and lonely she said go to a La Leche league meeting mm-hmm. so when my beautiful baby was about six weeks old we found a Leche league meeting and i walked in and it was the first time in all those weeks of her life that people, like, made me feel like I was doing everything right as opposed to, are you sure your baby's getting enough? Do you need to supplement? It, um, she's nursing a lot. Like, uh, like, questioning everything. Yeah. And when I showed up, they were like, oh, your baby's beautiful and you look you look great. And, you look... and I was like, I found my tribe. And, um <laughs> So, so that was really nice, and I kept going to meetings, and um, I have to back up a little bit and say that the day after she was born, we moved out of Manhattan to Westchester County. Okay, that's intense. It was very intense because I thought we were going to move at a different time, and I actually went into labor, went to the hospital, had my baby, came home to a different home. They moved while I was in the hospital. It was very intense. Wow. Um, and at the time we were figuring out what we were going to do. 10 months later, we moved back into the city. Okay. Which was made me very happy. (laughs) And, (laughs) um, and I had found my tribe in Westchester County with Laleche League meetings um, and found a group of friends, but now I was in, in the city, so I found the Leche League meetings. And in fact, my joke was that I called myself a Letcher League meeting slut because <laughs> everyone I could get could find. And I used to even drive up to Westchester for those meetings and to see some of my mom friends. And eventually, I became a Letcher League leader, and um, I loved that. And some of the leaders I saw were really smart. And I wanted to be like them, and they they knew a little more. They were IBCLCs, and I said this is something I could do. So I started studying and um, working with some mentors, and became an IBCLC. And um, I'm trying to think. That was in 2002. Okay. I um, I passed the exam. Amazing. Um, yeah, and um, yeah, and. Had well, another child after that, and and learned learned a lot through my own personal breastfeeding experiences.
0: Um, what what kind of pathway did you take to get to becoming an IBCLC? Ah, that's a good question because it was such a long time ago. It yeah, was, and they change um, them all the time.
1: Yeah, so I did it. Um, I I don't remember what number of pathway it was, um, but I know that some of my some of my La Leche um hours counted. Um, but I had to do some classes. I did some online classes. I think it was Pathway 3. So okay. I had,
0: yeah, I think. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and it's funny because I do mentor people. Most of the people I mentor, are, I believe, run also on Pathway 3.
0: Um, okay. Yeah. Yeah, I've, I've been thinking about um, going into that field. So I'm, I'm very curious because it's a very daunting, large process. But...
1: It, it is, but it's, but it's, you can do it at your own pace. I'm, I'm, I, I actually, I was counting up. I think there are seven interns that quote unquote that I have. And, um, I've, I've mentored several IBCLCs over the last several years. And, um, one of them is she's a doula. She's mm-hmm. like, I want to do this. I want to do it now. And she just, she said, I don't know how I'm going to get in the hours. I said, be, please be patient. Take your time because when you, when you, t- are patient and take your time, you're, um, you're going to learn more, you're going to retain more and it's just going to be easier. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I think this is one of those things that you definitely need, like the field work to understand it. It's not really about books.
1: (laughs) And a lot of it is so subtle. Yeah. Um, and just picking up on the different nuances of, the of the mechanics of breastfeeding, the emotions of breastfeeding, the different personalities. I truly believe that my work as a La Leche League leader and counseling moms helped a lot. And just seeing seeing new parents, and just seeing how different we all are. There's there's a commonality to it, but there's also each person is different, and understanding where they're coming from and respecting that. Mm-hmm. I could go on and on about that. Too. Yeah,
0: absolutely. No, that's a huge thing. And I think that there's so much tied up in breastfeeding as well. And like, you know, just being able to do it is tricky for people and there's some shame and not being able to do it or it not being like quote unquote perfect. And I think that all of those things play a huge role in how successful people are. Sure. So uh,
1: it's, and everybody has a different Uh, definition of what success is
0: right. Also that,
1: and, and so one of the things that gets left out of the conversation around breastfeeding is birth because birth has a huge impact on how breastfeeding goes because what happens in the delivery to both the birthing parent and the baby impacts, um, you know, their state. It impacts, uh, their abilities, um, their, their emotions. There's, there's so, there's so much, you know, when you have a surgical birth that that's different from a non-surgical birth and surgical birth could be a vaginal birth with an episiotomy or something along those lines. It could be a cesarean. There's, Mm -hmm. there's so many variations and all of these things impact, um, both the parent and the baby.
0: Right. So would you say people who deliver vaginally would have an easier time with breastfeeding? Um, Most of the time, but not always. Um, If you have
1: people who have a natural unmedicated birth, typically have an easier time.
0: Okay. That's what I, yeah, that's what I've been told. But um, I know that I think a lot of people get kind of into like a cycle of worry when they've had a C-section, they think that then they can't breastfeed. Um, right. Which and, obviously isn't true.
1: Right. They can. And you know, when I talk to parents prenatally who know that they're going to have a cesarean or that they're a high risk factor for having a cesarean, we talk about preparing for that and the, the different things that they can do. And people are often surprised that they can, um, you know, around 37 weeks, start expressing, hand expressing colostrum and collecting it. And the value of that is that you have something to supplement your baby with because you collect the colostrum and keep it in the freezer and bring it with you to to the birth. Um, but it also gets that milk moving and it gets, gets the parent really comfortable with hand expressing and getting to know their breasts. Mm -hmm. That's really
0: important. So, um, yeah, I think a lot of people don't really get to know their breasts in that way until they are faced with breastfeeding.
1: Yeah. And that brings us to the whole, like, sexualization of breasts. Right. What are breasts? What are breasts for? Like, you know, are they sexual? Yes. Are they maternal? Yes. Um, And then, you know, and we can talk about any of these tangents, but there are people that have complicated relationships with their breasts. Some people might have been sexually assaulted or, you know, or just teased about their breast. Some people might have very large breasts and people might have very small breasts. People might have had breast surgery, breast reduction implants. There's it's, it's very complicated. The world, our world has a complicated relationship with breasts.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Breasts in our bodies. (laughs) Yeah. So I think it's why birth is complicated as well. Yeah. It's just like, it's, yeah, it's a very similar overlap I find of like the lack of trust in our bodies and confidence. And it's something that's like inherent, but not taught. Like we're not really encouraged to find that. Absolutely. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So I find, I mean, what you do is incredible and, um, yeah, being able to like give that to people is so important.
1: Yeah. And what I've learned is that, um, People need to receive it and be open to receiving it. And, and the delivery is so important also, um, you know, different people take things in differently. They Mm -hmm. learn differently. They accept things differently. You have to, um, kind of observe and see what kind of person you're working with and ask questions. And, um, yeah, (laughs) the counseling part of being a lactation consultant is
0: huge. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely like half and half therapy. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) When So when you were breastfeeding, um, was that something that was encouraged or did you, like, was that something self-motivated or? Well, um, my first was
1: born in 1995. Okay. um, And I took a breastfeeding class and it was encouraged um, and supported. And I will tell you um, when... I was pregnant, there was a baby shower for me and, um, I did not register. This was sort of like probably at the beginning of people registering, but most people were not registering for products. And I remember saying, wow, breastfeeding seems easier and I want to breastfeed. And Mm -hmm. I got, I believe it was 37 bottles. Wow. (laughs) At my baby shower. And (laughs) at the time, and still currently, I did not have a dishwasher. And I said, oh, my goodness, how in the world am I going to wash all those bottles? I don't want to wash those bottles. I hate washing dishes.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and then and, uh, if that's, yeah. a re- like, reason enough to just breastfeed. <laughs> yeah. Like it's,
1: it's, it's, like, once you get it down,
0: it's right. easier.
1: Yeah. And then the other thing is the breastfeeding class I took, I remember the teacher insisting that we have to rent a pump. And I, um, otherwise my husband wouldn't bond. This was the message I was given. Mm -hmm. And I remember, um, going and renting a pump and I think I rented it for a month and it sat in my kitchen for a month. And then the day before it was supposed to be returned, I'm like, oh, I'm supposed to pump. So my husband can bond with our baby. (laughs) So So. he was pretty bonded. You know, this was, you know, she was a month or, you know, several weeks old. And um, so I pumped while my baby cried because I was home alone. And then that night or that late in the afternoon, early evening, um, there was a thunderstorm and we lived in this old house. And the electricity went out. My husband came home, and I said, Quick, you have to give her this bottle of milk immediately, or it's going to go bad. And he's like just coming off the train and the rain, and he's sweating, and he's like trying to figure out his way as a new dad. He's like, All right. So he's trying to give her a bottle, and she's screaming, and I'm crying, and he's looking stressed. And I'm like, Give me our baby. And I put her on my breast. I'm like, Do you care if I pump? And he said, I don't care. And I was so relieved (laughs) that I don't need to feed her a bottle to, to bond. And that, and it was, it was such a relief to me and to him, I believe too. So for our family, that's, that's what worked. And I know that different things I've learned different things work for different families. Um, but there, there was that pressure of, of, you know, you have to, you have to share and, um, there's different ways to share a baby besides feeding a baby.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Is that something that you still find is told to people?
1: Absolutely.
0: Interesting.
1: Yeah. And it's, it's one of the things that, that I argue like not argumentatively, but I argue in favor of taking the pressure off. There's so much pressure for women to pump and, and, when the Affordable Care Act came in, it was there were parts of it that were great and people got a pump, but then we became a pumping, a breast milk feeding as opposed to a breastfeeding culture. Right. And I saw a real definitive change at that point. And people were pumping and it would it became almost like a competitive sport. How much milk do you have in your freezer? You know, how much milk can you make? Um, right. It, it kind of changed, and, and then then people thought, well, it doesn't matter if my baby's getting the milk. There is, there is a difference between a baby drinking milk from a bottle and a baby breastfeeding.
0: And what do you find that difference to be?
1: Well, from a mechanical point of view, the the baby is is driving the milk production.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, the baby is is um using their muscles and their mouth and helping the mouth to develop they learn there's a satisfaction receptor like a real chemical receptor that works when a baby is at the breast that doesn't happen in the bottle there it's just it's just different um there's just it's if you ask a parent who's been breastfeeding and it's been going normally or well and they've, they've done both. They will tell you there is a difference if, you, if you're a parent who, who breastfeeds and bottle feeds. And to balance that out, there are some parents who just don't like breastfeeding and prefer that. But for the most part, the development of the oral structure, the, um, the continuation of breastfeeding, um, and this is, this is a fun, cool fact. When there's bacteria, say there's a sickness going around in, in the home, mm-hmm. the, um, that bacteria might get in the baby's mouth, the baby goes to the breast, that bacteria goes inside the breast, and the breast manufactures milk that will um, fight, fight off that bacteria. So it It's almost like the may-
0: antibodies, right? Exactly. And that, that
1: can happen if there's not that physical connection of the, the baby and the breast.
0: I think it's so cool. I mean, just from a scientific perspective, it's just like one of the coolest things that people can do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's awesome. That's very cool to know. Um, what, what are the benefits of breastfeeding? I guess that kind of brings us to that.
1: Well, I, you know, I don't like to think of it as benefits.
0: Right. I I
1: just think it's just normal. So, so. What are the risks to
0: not? (laughs) Yeah. What are the risks to not (laughs) breastfeeding? Well,
1: um, so the risks are, um, increased cancers for both the, the, um, the parent and the child, um, a risk of obesity. There's more, um, ear infections. There's general sickness. Um, um, and then there's what I was talking about a moment ago, the oral development, the development Mm -hmm. of the oral structure, um, those those are some of the the the, the biggies because if you're sucking on the same thing over and over it's going to impact how your 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 the shape of your mouth develops and the shape of your teeth so it changes when with a breast um what are some and there's in in most cases if you're breastfeeding directly at the breast you keep it going longer I think I've kind of gone off what you're the, the original question, but no, um, there's a lot to it.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so that's I mean, fine. Yeah.
1: Um, just, and, and I like to tell this story. Um, I am going to go off a little bit, but, and I started to say this, that when I had my first child, it was said, Oh, if you breastfeed for a year, then you don't have to use formula. And I went, that's good for me. So my goal was to breastfeed for a year. And mm-hmm. as we got closer to that year i was having this anxiety about weaning her because it was such a lovely part of our relationship and one of one of the great things that one of your like magic bullets if you will um of when you're nursing an older child or a baby of any age but like the older one it's like you can get a baby to sleep easily (laughs) the breast when you have a toddler you can you can tame a tantrum immediately But this story I love to tell when my oldest was 17 months old, we had a play group and um, there was a, like a stomach virus that went through the the play group. Everybody got it. And one kid was hospitalized. There was vomiting, diarrhea. It was, it was pretty bad. And so Phoebe was 17 months old. And I remember for five days, she went totally off all solid food and she was just nursing. And she had a mild diarrhea. That was the worst. And then that was it. Then five days later, she was back to herself. So what I learned from that was how my milk protected her. And I also learned that you could build a milk supply when your child's older. Because at the end of that five days, on day six, my breasts were huge with milk. (laughs) Because she'd been nursing for five days straight as opposed to sort of toddler nursing, which is, you know, Complementary to eating solid foods. This is another thing. When, when, um, with breastfeeding, the change of the taste of milk, the, the milk changes the taste. So typically, a baby who's breastfed is going to have a more adventurous palate when they start eating solid foods.
0: Interesting. And why is that?
1: Because the milk tastes differently. Like if you right. eat something with a lot of garlic or a lot of spice that's going to translate to to the taste of your milk. If you're drinking the same thing, the same formula every day, there's 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 no variety. Right. But when you introduce solids, the child is more likely to be interested in in the various flavors because they've already had various flavors.
0: That's so cool. Isn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so do you find that like babies who are breastfed will be, you know, more likely to like eat their vegetables or not be as picky as they grow up to? Mostly. Yeah. Mostly <laughs> not I've, I've watched,
1: you know, there, there many toddlers go through like their white food phase and yeah. and where they'll only eat, you know, rice and potatoes and whatever um whatever is, is mild. And I, I have not done the research. I've kind of heard the research that maybe it's protective, you know, for them from them um, you know, just naturally not wanting to eat poisonous foods.
0: That makes you know? sense. Yeah. Yeah that's so interesting. And, um, so, and what are some other ones? And well, when you said cancers, like protective against cancers and disease, um, what is it about, what is it about breastfeeding that can do that? Well,
1: well first of all, there's, there's a component of breast milk and I forgot what the name of it is, um, that causes cancer cells to implode.
0: Okay. Wow. It Literally.
1: Yeah. But it, 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 um, it protects, it protects the gut. Mm-hmm. And when you're using your breast, um, you're, I'm, I'm not going to explain this very well. And I should be able to, cause I've been doing this a long time, but it's, some of the stuff I just know, and it's like the scientific part is, has escaped me, yeah, but I using, like but using your breast and it's almost like draining them and get like, kind of, it's almost like cleansing them by using them and having the milk come in and go out. Mm-hmm. Um, so, use, using your breast uh, reduces the chances of of getting breast cancer. Um, does that mean that it stops you from getting breast cancer? No, but your chances are, are less if you do. Okay. And um, also, later in life, w- women who breastfeed have a uh, lower incidence of osteoporosis. Really? Yeah like in like postmenopausal osteoporosis.
0: Yeah. And is that because of hormones or what is that?
1: I, um, I believe it has to do with, um, I don't know that I'm going to explain this very well, but it helps you. So, so they say when you're, when you're nursing, some of your bone density is a little lighter. Yeah. But then during, if you do a, like a natural weaning, it kind of lays down more calcium, more bone matter.
0: Interesting. I mean, yeah. that makes sense. That's cool. Yeah.
1: Yeah. There was, um, and this is just an N of one, but there was a woman who used to come to La League meetings and, um, she had, um, she was a model and she had eating disorder and had, you know, I think teenage onset, um, osteoporosis. And, um, she nursed her first child And was kind of encouraged to wean early. And so she did. And the second time she got pregnant, when they looked at her bones, they were a little bit better. So then her second child, she nursed longer. And her bone density was markedly improved because she nursed, I think, for two
0: years. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah.
1: Um, And I I remember her learning this about her. And at around the same time, I was studying to be an IBCLC and kind of reading that research and going, wow, it's real.
0: Yeah, that's so cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's amazing. Would you mind ta- talking a little bit about La Leche League for people who might not know what that is? And Sure. Yeah.
1: Um, so La Leche League is a volunteer organization. Okay. It was started in a suburb of Chicago by these seven women. Um, who were, found themselves sort of isolated in their breastfeeding uh, journey, and so they kind of um, came up with, the, just found themselves like helping each other, and um, grew into this big organization um, with with publishing a book, The Womanly Art of Breastfeeding, and publishing other other stories, and just holding. Um, support groups all over. It started in the United States, but it's a, it's an international organization, um, mm-hmm. with, um, volunteers who are trained, um, to, um, either lead meetings or, um, or take, you know, take, um, counseling phone calls. And mm-hmm. so, so I've been a La Leche leader for 21 years since 1997. Wow. And, um, yeah, it it's it's pretty amazing. Um and, and the organization is is really great because it's it is it is international and um it, it just it's it's just a nice network. It's it's a nice place to go to a meeting and and be with like-minded uh parents and share your stories. And the truth is that breastfeeding and parenting is is shown in this beautiful bucolic light and it's lovely but it's not always and sometimes it's 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 isolating and sometimes it's just downright annoying
0: yeah <laughs> and it's a
1: safe place to kind of go and say um this is really hard and you know I'm not enjoying this and um I want to do it or I'm not sure I want to do it and and it, it's a safe place where you can go and just kind of talk about the reality of your life with uh, with a baby. And one of my favorite parts of being a La Leche leader is my toddler meeting. And I I fell in love with nursing toddlers. So I had to have a toddler meeting. Um, I remember going to a toddler meeting with mine. And I just, I I love, I love toddlers. And mm-hmm. I love seeing the joy on their faces when they nurse. And I just love helping the moms who are nursing toddlers who can feel like we were talking about judgment. There's judgment. If you do breastfeed, if there's judgment, if you don't breastfeed, if you're breastfeeding a kid with teeth, why would you do that? Or, or if they can talk, why would you breastfeed? And those, those parents need the support. I think more, more so sometimes than the new parents.
0: Yeah, definitely. I, I was actually, I got to talk to my mom yesterday. I'm going to have an episode with her on the podcast. And um, she was telling her story. And uh, I know with me, she was able to breastfeed for maybe four months. And it was, she said it was like very difficult the whole time. And she didn't have any support with it at all. Um, But also it was, so 1991. And people like weren't really on board with breastfeeding yet. And so just doing it was like, its own battle. Um, and I, yeah, I think that's an interesting thing now and even toddler feeding is definitely more accepted, but I don't feel like it's there where it should be. It's not, it's, it can be, it, it becomes, you know, this, uh,
1: odd thing. Um, I, I was a guest many years ago on the show, the doctors. And, um, at the time my son I think he was, he was three or four and I was nursing him. Hmm. And um, one of the doctors was like, I'm going to take a stance here. That's too old. And um, it's, it's not too old. Like it was beyond a year or she had this whole issue with babies nursing beyond a year. And like that, she said, I'm going to take a stance. And that was like such a cultural, personal experience as opposed to a medical evidence-based experience. And this is where we can transition to Everybody like one of the things that I see is like, oh, you should breastfeed. How I don't know, but you should do it, and right. that's sort of <laughs> the, the, the situation. Oh, your your OB, your your um, your pediatrician, and the reality is, our culture does not support new parents. We have to go back to work so early, and I've worked with many women doctors. Who when you're in medical school and you're doing your residency, you're in childbearing years, right? Right. So if you have a baby, you have to go back to work when your baby's six weeks old. It's it's the person who has either the guts and or the privilege to be able to say, I'm in med school, I'm having a baby, I'm taking I'm gonna take a break for a year because I can't I can't do this this lifestyle. And I've met I've met some of those women. Um, but it's it's just if there's not a cultural shift, you have to make the shift for yourself or or you lose breastfeeding. And mm-hmm. so and my point about that is not only do you have to go back to work. So if you're a pediatrician and you had kids while you're doing your residency, it's very unlikely that you breastfed. And if you don't have that experience, how are you going to support somebody? And 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 I'm not saying that you have to breastfeed to be able to help somebody breastfeed, mm-hmm. but – we carry as any professional carries your personal life. So if you're, if you're counseling people and you didn't breastfeed and your kid's fine, like, Oh, it doesn't matter. It's okay. I don't know how to breastfeed. I didn't, I did a little bit and it's okay if you don't. Right. It's, 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 it's complicated. Anyway, there's, there's very little training and, and the, And having the um, humility to admit that and to say, here's somebody who can help you, it's, we're seeing that more and more. Yeah. Um, But, but that's something that people have come up against and probably your mother too, like at four months, you know, when you were a baby and she needed help, they're they're probably, she didn't know where to find help. And the people that you would think would help them were not trained and were not available to help.
0: Yeah. And I I hear that all the time. And I see this happening all the time. Like, first of all, hospitals aren't usually equipped properly with the right sort of care in place. And then there's often lots of different conflicting things going on. Like I hear hear people having nurses who are really pushing the bottle and then they also have a lactation consultant who's there. But then there's only one for the whole hospital and they don't ever see them when they're there. And, you know, all these other things that happen.
1: And then one, another trend I've seen, and I don't, I don't want to badmouth people, but a lot of times the more initials you get after your name, the more money you can make. Right. And so some of the (laughs) hospital lactation consultants aren't, I, I feel like it's a field that you need to be passionate about, that you need to like care about how breastfeeding goes. And I, and I've seen some. And it's probably not – it's definitely not all, and it's probably a small percentage. But I just see that the, the results of somebody being a quote-unquote lactation consultant but not giving good advice or not really caring, which mm-hmm. is kind of a bummer. Um, and, I, and, and a lot of it also, it depends on the hospital and where they put their priorities. So some hospitals will hire an IBCLC who is not an RN. But some of them will only hire an IBCLC who is an RN, and a lot of those lactation consultants tell me that what happens is because they're also an RN, they're pulled away from lactation and give and like put into like you know, put in lines and draw blood and do do other RN stuff where that's not really what they were hired for.
0: Okay, I actually haven't heard that, but that makes so much sense. right
1: but the it's it's about the hospital prioritizing breastfeeding care.
0: Right. And they don't,
1: (laughs) a lot of them don't, some of them do. And then some of them don't. And then, then it can depend, like you said, who's, who's on call, who's, who's working that day. Right. You know, and how many lactation consultants are on staff? How many lactation consultants per patient?
0: It's, it's tricky. And this kind of brings us into the politics of breastfeeding is like, why, why has there been such a shift kind of away from it and now sort of supporting it, but not properly? (laughs) Right. Well,
1: so the formula industry is very, very strong. They Mm -hmm. have lots of money and lots of marketing. And, um, I mean, if we go back in history and talk about, you know, um, when, uh, women were able to like pump milk or, and work outside of the home or just not, not even breastfeed, just work outside of the home and be separated. There was, there was that. And then, so so the, um, I'm just trying to think of of which point in history I'm supposed to know this and it's fallen out of my head where, (laughs) um, they found, so formula was developed for like orphans or people who just really could not breastfeed, which Basically, it's a very small percentage. Yeah. But somehow they figured out that they could market this and they sold it as, oh, well, you can have freedom and you can go to work and this is science and it's better than what your body makes. And so I think the whole like 1940s, 1950s, you know, the sterile, sterilization of everything, sterile home, clean mother, um, <laughs>
0: clean house, <Yeah.
1: laughs> um, kind of just normalized bottle feeding and then we sexualize the breast so it, it it just gets very very complicated then we had we had the the women's lib movement and thank goodness like i you know equal rights that's so important but we have to understand that there's there's a time and place for everything and um we reproduce female bodies reproduce and so part of reproduction is making milk is feeding the baby. So we, as, as we tried to sort of compete with the male and like get back to work really fast and try to make the same salary, which we still don't, you mm-hmm. know, we're, we're still fighting for that. Um, it became like, well, of course I can be pregnant and I can work. And of course I can have a baby and I can work. And it's, 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 I get that. And in some cases you can do that, but in some cases you can't, and we are, we are different. And there's, I mean, we can get into the whole gender cause there's a whole range of gender and a spectrum. So, but I'm just, if, if we want to get into sort of like the current politics and men versus women in the workplace, like that's where I just want to focus while yeah, acknowledging that's fine. Every, everything else. Um, but it's, it's, it's complicated. And then because we're trying to compete and then we just, we don't value, we outsource parenting. We outsource everything, especially these days. Right.
0: Yeah. For sure.
1: Laundry, food, you know, housekeeping, um, parenting, it's, everything is outsourced. So, um, anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm
0: trying to. I'm trying to keep a
1: straight line of thought, but it's so complicated. It's yeah. There's just...
0: so much more to it, I think, than people realize. So I think it's kind of good to think about it in these like broad strokes because right. it's so much more than just a breast and a baby.
1: <laughs> and the other thing is this equality of parenting. This is something that I find very interesting. And um, and that oh well, if I breastfeed, I can't like my my partner is not going to be an, an equal. Partner, well, this is what I've learned both personally and just watching humans. Right mm-hmm. there, when when there are two parents, we'll just go with that standard for right now. And there's yeah. knowing there's variations, but when there's two parents, there are certain times in a child's life when one parent is more, um, more. I don't want to say relevant. It, that's not more more present and more physically involved. Mm-hmm. I mean, you don't share pregnancy right <laughs> right right so, so so the birthing parent is pregnant for let's say nine months, and then there's this whole like reproduction of of making milk, and if somebody decides not to because they want to share i it's I, I i there's there are times when the the other parent is more involved, and if you have more than one child the older child is probably hanging out with the, with the other parent more than than they more than they were um than they're hanging out with the parent who has the new baby, right? Right, right. Um and and different people bring different things to a relationship. My um my husband is is great with like um homework. <laughs> I'm yeah. not. <laughs> well he's good actually he's good with the math stuff and I'm good with the writing stuff and but but there are certain things that in my our kids know they will call me for certain things and they will call him for certain things because we both have our our weaknesses and our strengths, and so and and we're we're better at some things and and not as great of other things right and it's the same so there if you look at the timeline of a child growing up. It's, it's not 50-50. It, it's rare for it to be 50-50 along the whole timeline of that child's life, is, is my point. Right. I've right. rambled on to make that point.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, it's true.
1: <laughs> can, we can go back to the politics of, of breastfeeding that we don't value We don't value people who aren't in their 20s and 30s that are good-looking.
0: Right. <laughs> and for productive. Sure. Yeah, right? absolutely.
1: So, so kids are kind of annoying and old people are annoying. Like, it's just sort of like, and middle-aged people are annoying. See,
0: right.
1: It's just, of course I'm being sarcastic, but like, that's just yeah. like where, <laughs> where our culture is. It's like we value what sells on TV where we can sell, you know, cars and toothpaste. Um, and it's people that are good looking in their twenties and thirties. <laughs> like, and so that's just sort of the image that we're that we're shown, and there's every human has value. But once we start valuing um, babies and their parents,
0: um, right. and actually valuing them, actually
1: not <laughs> yes.
0: And that whole not not that this is anything new because it seems like this is kind of a constant thing. And how we got into formula, sort of in the first place, is just the like, commercialization of these things and, you know, commodifying. And um, I think there's a lot of that happening now with, like, natural, quote, unquote, parenting. And it's not authentic. And it's really not serving anybody because we're still in the same place. We're still sending women back to work way before they're healed or able to have this relationship going. And those are the things that need to change in order to, like, have these good supportive situation
1: absolutely i yeah yeah absolutely
0: for people who are like i'm I'm sure that you know the majority of people you work with are gonna be going back Mm -hmm. to work and having maternity leave how do you work with that well
1: what i i focus on first is getting breastfeeding down like learning that as a skill um and for both the nursing parent and the baby. Right. So you want to get that down. You want to get milk supply and you want to get the, the actual act of breastfeeding going. And once that is, that foundation is, is created, um, you want a little time to enjoy that and to sort of quote unquote master that because once you have that established, then you can interject with pumps and bottles and that sort of thing. Um, that's, that's sort of the baseline that that I start with. And, and most people do have to have to go back to work. And then we talk about what are your work options? Because a lot of mm-hmm. times people don't think about that or they think about, <clears throat> well, um, I don't know if I'm going to be allowed to pump or I don't know what it, you know, if they'll let me. And so I tell parents, I'm like, look, don't ask permission, tell them what your needs are. You know, you go in and you say, um, I'm going to be back at this point, whether it's twelve weeks, sixteen weeks, twenty weeks, fifty weeks, whatever, and um, I'm going to be pumping, and I will be leaving the office at five thirty exactly every day. Um, for for example, um, people say, "Well, I there's not a, there's not a pumping room or there's not a space," and sometimes you have to create that. So and and. When people are pregnant, I say, talk to your, your employer beforehand and say, you know, I noticed that we don't really have a dedicated area for pumping and there's windows in my office. Can we get some sort of shoji screen or some sort of like um, cover up for the windows so that I have a little privacy for pumping? Or can we create a space that's not a bathroom for for me to pump? Um, is it possible for my baby to come and visit me at work during lunch? Cause I live around the corner and, um, or I'm going to go home for lunch and nurse my baby. The, those are some of the things. Another trend that I see that, that complicates things for, um, for people that are going back to work. is like they spend their maternity leave pumping, 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 filling their freezer and they go back to work and they fly through their freezer and they're like, oh, I don't have to pump when I'm at work because I have all this milk. But they, they don't realize how much milk they need to feed their baby. And so then they yeah. don't pump. And then they run out of milk. And because they haven't been pumping, their body stops making as much milk. So it's, it's, um, it's, it's a complication. Um, mm-hmm. it, it interferes with, with long-term breastfeeding. Not even long-term, just normal term. Um, and then the bottles, like It's complicated there's so many bottles. I told you back in 19, so
0: many bottles. Oh my God.
1: (laughs) So not all bottles are created equal. Not all babies respond to all bottles. And the other thing, the other thing that drives me crazy, it's like the different stages. Well, your breasts don't go through different stages. Why do you have to have a faster flowing bottle? Does your breast suddenly start flowing faster when your baby hits three months?
0: No. Right. (laughs) And
1: so then your baby is like often overfed and the caregivers it's exhausting to take care of a baby. And in my opinion, this is, there are some things that are facts. And in my opinion, it's more exhausting if you don't have a breast to calm a baby. So um, if you're a caregiver and you're not – obviously you're not nursing, then you have to feed the baby a bottle. Well, the baby the, – babies need more attention than you think. And so, right. like, people will just kind of go, oh, this baby's fussy. I better give them more milk. And so babies get overfed. And you run through the milk and they're just overfed because there's no – because people don't think, well, I should wear this baby or I should talk to this baby. This five-month-old baby likes to be spoken to. Oh, really? Yes, it's true. <laughs> they do. Or they yeah. like to go for a walk or to be rocked or sung to or, you know, engaged in another way. And so it, instead of just propping a baby up and giving a baby a bottle, it it takes effort. So it's it's hard. It's hard work until you know your baby that you're caring for it's it's just easy to give your baby that you're caring for you know as, as the caregiver just another bottle of milk
0: right yeah and and that seems to be the go-to most of the time it's always like okay the baby's crying yeah. they're hungry yeah and we're not really looking at those other options right and so what are what would be like the problems with a baby being overfed well besides
1: using up all the milk
0: um, right, <laughs> you are
1: like you're, um, I mean, there's a risk for obesity down the road. Yeah. Um, and then just not meeting the child's emotional needs. That, that might right, be extreme. Right. I might be sounding extreme there, but like, you know, just you're, you're creating a food issue. Oh, you're not, right. your needs aren't met here. Eat.
0: Yeah. And that's something that we, uh, I mean, that extends far into life. Yes,
1: it does. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I I think that's such an interesting um, overlap. I, I think about that a lot. Like, in in that being with formula too, is you know not the baby doesn't like necessarily get to learn when they're hungry and when they're full. Right right yeah and you just yeah having these like really regimented ways about feeding oh yeah doesn't let them guide it i think that's an interesting thing too and i find that with people um you know when they start to get nervous about the weight loss that happens right after birth which i'd love to hear from you on yes. um but they, yeah, then being told that, okay, well, you have to feed the baby then every two to three hours, regardless of they're hungry. And I, I have a lot of women I work with postpartum that are asking like, well, should I wake the baby up if they're sleeping so they can eat because I'm supposed to do this? And it creates so much anxiety. It does. So
1: here's, here's the thing. First of all, I don't know what the percentage is, but it's incredibly high. How many people have a medicated birth? And if you, if you have an epidural, that's a medicated birth. And in order to get an epidural, or if you have a cesarean, you have to have IV fluids. And so when you have IV fluids, you put on weight. So does your baby. Mm -hmm. So there's, there is some research out there, but nobody seems to follow it. That like, if, if you had a medicated birth and your baby is otherwise doing well, but there's maybe a nine or 10 or even 11% weight loss, but everything else is going fine. There's this number, oh no, got to supplement the baby when there was never a need to supplement because your baby was sort of inflated with the IV fluids.
0: Right. That's something I always tell people and I would really like to highlight and make sure people listen to who are listening because it's so important and I'm, I'm not really sure exactly what tools you can do to fight off when... The doctors might be encouraging that you need to put back on that weight. But I think it, it's at least something to know within ourselves that you're not doing anything wrong and that that's how things go. Right. And the,
1: the other thing that, that the part of this is that so many parents think that formula is the answer and it's really the volume. So I tell people if you need to supplement, you supplement with expressed milk. And if it's in the first couple of days, you get that lovely plastic spoon in your lovely hospital meal and you Mm -hmm. wet it off (laughs) and you squeeze colostrum into that spoon and spoon feed it to your baby. And, um, and that's how you get, get things going. That's how you eat. And if your doctor tells you, you have to supplement and you're still in the hospital, you tell the hospital staff, bring me a pump. I'm going to pump my milk so that I can supplement my baby with my milk. Even, even if there's like a real true medical reason that your baby has to use formula, you still want to be pumping with a hospital grade pump. And that's, that's different. People say, Oh, I don't have that much milk. What pump do you have? And they tell me the pump they have. And it's like this little Tonka toy of a pump. I'm like, well, that's not going to get any milk out. (laughs) You need a real (laughs) milk. You need a real pump. And um, anyway, it's, 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 Th- this so, so many babies I it keeps me in business honestly maybe I should thank those uneducated doctors for, for keeping me in business yeah true <laughs> like, like, you
0: know, I guess if it was easy for everybody you wouldn't have a job right <laughs>
1: and the thing is that um We have to look at more than just numbers, and that's the other thing. We've come into this culture of looking at numbers, as opposed to looking at the individual. And I can't tell you how many people. I I remember back in the day when you were nursing your baby, and your baby was sleeping. You're like, oh, which side, which side would I feed my baby on? And you kind of squeeze your breast and go, oh, this one's fuller. I'll put her on this one. Um, and some people put a little hairband around their their wrist, right? Oh, I fed on this mm-hmm. side last. But everybody's got an app. And I will ask parents, I'm like, well, what side do you want to nurse on? Let me look at my phone. I'm like, can't you touch your breast and tell? And if, you, and if it doesn't matter, then what does it matter? It doesn't matter what side. Right. But everybody has to chart everything. And instead of looking at the individual.
0: Yeah. So would you say like stepping away from that would be really helpful for people? Yes. And
1: there's, there's, there's definitely a place for collecting data and for like charting. Definitely. But not to the the extent that it's happening.
0: Yeah, I agree. I see that to be, I mean, definitely just for the anxiety factor. It's very harmful, but generally it's just like, we're so out of tune with our bodies that And I mean, not everybody, but But I I do think that's a big issue. And it's a huge thing that if you're going to be trying to do this, that I think it's really important to get in touch. It's very
1: interesting. I met a woman recently, like a friend of a friend. And we were just, we were in a social situation and she was telling me she was, um, uh, this is very much an aside, by the way, but she was telling me that she's um, an accountant and she mentioned a couple of times, she goes, I love it. Four plus four is eight. That's how life is. It's perfect. And she and she kept making references to things like that about being able to quantify everything. And I knew that mm-hmm. she had kids that were, you know, like late teens, early 20s. And I looked at her, I'm like, did you breastfeed? She's like, no way. And I said, it would have been hard for you. And she said, there's no way. I couldn't see the numbers. <laughs> and She was somebody who like needs to quantify things. And so maybe this kind of circles back to like, understanding the, the families you work with and what their needs are, um, mm-hmm. and, and how, how to work with different people. Um, and, and cause we're, we all are different and, and kind of going back to what you said also about, we're kind of out of touch and we, we don't trust, we don't trust our bodies. We don't trust, um, the system that is our body to, to make milk. And we don't trust that we can look at our baby and, and learn from our baby. It's, it's, we've kind of cultured the instincts out of ourselves.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, how would you, in your work, put that back? How do you like give people that, or help them create that trust and confidence in themselves to do this?
1: Well, I, you know, uh, it, it depends on what's going on, but, but by letting their baby nurse and, you know, trying to take the technology away when almost always when I work with families, like probably 90% of the time I have a scale so that we Mm. can weigh the baby before and after nursing. And it's, it's a, it's a valuable tool because we can tell like the, the mom who thinks, Who's concerned that her baby's not gaining enough weight? We can confirm that that maybe the baby's mm-hmm. not getting enough, but a, but most of the time the baby is, and if we see that and we can and then the mother can see, oh look, your baby fell asleep, but but it was only six and a half minutes, or that took twenty seven minutes, and you know just understanding that the babies are smart and they're instinctive. Um, just letting them watch, I encourage them to watch and, and look for satisfaction. And, and I tell them that babies do not read clocks. So right. Um, you know this this whole like three hour thing. So what we know is generally normal is that a baby would nurse eight to twelve times in twenty four hours, right? So if you did that mathematically, that's every two to three hours. But babies aren't mathematical and they don't they don't read the clock. So some babies might sleep for a long stretch, but then cluster feed and parents get freaked out. Oh my gosh, I fed my baby. And then 45 minutes later, my baby was hungry again. I must not have enough milk, but that's just normal baby behavior. And just trying to explain what normal baby behavior is and how milk production works. Milk production changes throughout the day. There's times when there's more milk and times when there's less milk. There's times when there's fattier milk. There's times when there's more melatonin in the milk. And um, just understanding that, that, and I kind of put it back to the parent. I say, do you eat exactly the same thing and the same volume at exactly the same time every day? And sometimes light bulbs go off. (laughs) They're like, no, neither does your baby. And, you know, there's times that your baby might just be thirsty and and maybe not so hungry. But your milk is, I forgot the percentage, 68% or 72% water, you know, it hydrates the baby. So, um, and sometimes the baby just wants to be connected to you.
0: Right. The, they just need comfort. They, they need to be comforted
1: when when you have a new baby and all the people come over to meet the baby and they pass the baby around, the baby's going to kind of root and say, I want my mom. And people say, oh, your baby must be hungry. So you must not make enough milk because, you know, your baby's starving because they want to nurse all the time. But all these new people are there and the, they don't know, the baby doesn't know that the baby and the mother aren't the same person. Right, right. They just want to be, they want to feel safe. And so there's something safe about in the arms and nursing
0: exactly so yeah and I I do think the the scale that you mentioned I find that um a lot of women I work with are so happy about that it's such a good way to quantify those things for people who need that which is a lot of people
1: yeah I mean it's it's I sometimes feel conflicted about it because it is it's just a snapshot and, yeah. and quite honestly, I carry it all over New York City. And it's like, it's, it's a pain. It's, it's a physical pain. <laughs> Especially when there's a walk-up. But, but that's okay. Because it, it, it tells it tells us a lot of information. And yeah. it, it is a valuable tool. And I explained to parents, you don't need this. This is for me to help you figure out what's going on. But some parents went, I want that. I want to wait. I want to quantify. It goes back to that quantifying thing. No, you can't. You're not allowed to have scale. <laughs>
0: Um, what are the, like the biggest barriers that you see for people in breastfeeding? Um, oh my goodness. Um, well, birth
1: interventions, Mm -hmm. Um, um, in, in, um, the culture, like your, the support system. Depending on who your support system is, if it's your your mother who didn't breastfeed and says, "Well, I didn't breastfeed, you're fine," and this, your baby's obviously you don't have enough milk, like attitudes like that, um, in some cases, baby nurses, yeah, um, just misinformation. The the internet,
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the internet is uh, the worst. <laughs>
1: um, and, and really, like like uneducated support system is probably the biggest. And that support system includes family, physicians, like your work, people not respecting your time. <laughs> your, yeah. Um. I w- I wish I could say that there was exactly one thing. And no, there's a lot. Yeah. And and going back to the pumps, everybody wants to make a pump, right? So not all pumps are created equal, and so we're people are quantifying how much milk they make based on a pump. And I know I already mentioned that, but like, there's that. It's, um, and, and, uh, the normalization of bottle feeding, um, which is fine. Cause it isn't, it, it, it's culturally normal. So I'm not demonizing that, but everybody thinks your baby has to have a bottle by a certain point or else your baby will never take a bottle. And then the bottles are fast and the baby doesn't get satisfied and they look like they're still hungry and blah, blah.
0: Right. Right. I feel like I'm repeating well, stuff. No, no, I, I, I don't think so. <laughs> Um, and I mean, also though, it is kind of a, it's like a repetitive thing that we just have to keep saying so that people understand. Um, but so when, um, with nursing, when you, uh, you talked about toddler nursing, Mm -hmm. when, how that changes when they start eating food. So how, what will the needs look like? And is that something like, do you work with people often in that stage? Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay.
1: So, um, so first of all introduction of solids happens around six months and it's right. when a baby has the pincer grip. It's, we started, we started feeding babies purees when we were feeding them solids way too early. And if we start like with babies picking up little, little soft pieces of food, like a cut up, you know, uh banana, um, uh, like a bean, something that they can't choke on that they can kind of jaw, like, you know, gum to bits and, play with the texture and play with the flavors. Um, That's, that's how we start, right? That's in, in, Mm. and, but it's, it's not like, Oh my gosh, my baby's going to have half a cup of food. And so I'm not going to nurse solid food is complementary to breastfeeding. And the, the, the bulk of a baby's nutrition in the first year of life is breast milk. And then some, for some babies, some 18 month olds still mostly have breast milk. Some 12, 13 month olds are like, diving into food and like, are probably getting 50% food. So there's, there's variations on what's normal. Okay. Um, so, but, um, toddlers, like they, they, their immune system is still building and it's, it's unusual for a baby to nurse on their own before the age of two. Um, Okay. So, so when babies wean, they've weaned to a bottle, or the parents wean them, and which is that's fine. That's as long as people understand that that that's what they chose to do, and that's what works for them. So it's not like you shouldn't. Everybody should nurse for two years. Um, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying yeah. that understanding what's what's biologically normal. Um, it's very funny because people say, oh, "Talk about extended breastfeeding." And that's a new term and I don't like it. To me, it's paramount to saying that a 40 week pregnancy is an extended pregnancy. (laughs) Yeah. Nursing a toddler is just, it's normal. It's not extended. Nursing a three year old is normal. It's not extended. It's just part of, it's part of your parenting. And, um, and it's, it's a way like when you're nursing a little child who, who can walk and fall down and skin their knee, it's great to be able to nurse them and, when they fall down and the skin their knee cause it soothes them. And then you could squirt some of that milk on, on their knee to heal it. Um, yeah. But it's, it's, which is
0: very, another very cool thing about breast milk. <laughs> yes.
1: Yes. So um, I did people get, people get really funny about, about nursing toddlers and people get uncomfortable because we don't see it. And what you said earlier on is that it's becoming more common, but we just, we have to stop sequestering, babies and mothers and toddlers. That that's that's a big part. I'm kinda of going back a little bit, but like, you know, oh here's a nursing room. You can go here and nurse. Well you have a toddler. You can you can go nurse your toddler. And sometimes when you have a toddler you do want to go off because they're distracted and you just you want to get away from the party or whatever it is. But yeah um but I don't know. I'm sorry. I'm like
0: I'm going off No, no, I totally agree. I think that's a really important thing to say and I think, you know, even just like breastfeeding in public, how that's still weird for, for even an infant, you know, that people still get squeamish and strange about it is absurd. Um, but yeah, I think the best way that we can like really change that is just to keep encouraging women to, to openly breastfeed Yeah, and to talk about it and show people that it happens because once we get used to it, it'll keep going. And I think people will be more successful for sure.
1: Yeah and And we need to create the village you know these parents need the, and that that goes back to La leche League creating these these places where people can come and so many parents they're a little they're a little tribe through La leche League you know through meetings yeah oh, right yeah, let's let's meet up here but but we because we don't live in the tribe in you know in the village so much, we have to create that and and um and it can be isolating being a parent. And so creating a support system is so important to continue breastfeeding and to get breastfeeding off to a good start.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I would say Leche League is such a good resource for that. Yeah. Do you know of many others or like other ways that people could be kind of cultivating that? Cause I, I do think, you know, the community is such an important part of, all of this, like child rearing and postpartum and, you know, then breastfeeding. Yeah. Like any, any of the parenting support groups that are out there. I
1: mean, I I don't know if your listeners are mostly in New York city or like if they're national, but there's, there's definitely in New York city. There, there are places, there are um, parenting groups and and breastfeeding groups that are, that are not just La Leche League. So, um, and there's, there's new mother circles and new parent, you know, gatherings and, and i encourage that and there are some some doctor's offices might have have that but a lot of community centers will will have um something like that or so i live in stuyvesant town and mm. um like sometimes when the weather's nice and you go outside you go to the playground and you go out to the oval and you just see other parents so um don't be shy. Walk yeah. up to, 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 people. One of the, um, when my daughter was one week old and um, we had moved to Westchester, maybe she was two weeks old. Maybe I should give myself a, not too many
0: props, but she was, <laughs> she
1: was pretty young. And I remember hopping on the train to come into the city to go to my office. Um, and okay. I, it, she could have been four weeks old. Now that I'm thinking about it. <laughs> I might've, like, well, I, might have. I'm, I might've, I, I was, I think she was two weeks old i was dying to get back and i and i took the train and um there was a woman with a baby on the train and i went up to her and i'm like oh how old's your baby he was 25 hours older than my baby and we like we found out that we lived a couple blocks from each other and we um got together and we had this play group that we all like so these kids are 22 and 23 years old and we all like kind of still we send each other holiday cards and we Facebook friends. Most of us have scattered, but we still kind of connect We're, with each other. And um, I just, I, I just needed to see somebody else with a baby. I just needed to talk to somebody.
0: Yeah, it's, just, it's so important. Yeah, that's so cool that you're still in touch as well. <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> it's kind of wild.
0: Yeah, it's amazing. I would love to know if you have any advice for people at like before they really get into breastfeeding, like maybe in pregnancy still, like yeah. how can they set themselves up for success? Go to a lactation meeting. Okay. And, and the, it's like totally fine to go when Absol- you're just pregnant?
1: Absolutely. Cool. Absolutely. I do a group down in Tribeca mm-hmm. that's promoted by the HRP Mamas, which is a great parenting organization. Okay. And usually one third to one half of the moms there are pregnant. Awesome. And I commend them. am like, you are going to you're going to learn so much because more than just going to a breastfeeding class, you are seeing real babies of all different ages, nurse, and you're hearing the moms talk about the different situations that they, that they went through and the different things that worked for them and the things that didn't work for them that they would have done differently. When we, when I have a lot of pregnant women in, in, in a meeting, I, I say to the the people with babies, I'm like, can you say one thing? that you would have done differently or the one thing you're so glad you did that helped you with breastfeeding and just seeing the reality of that. That's, that's, that's better than just watching a video or or going to a class. right? Definitely.
0: Yeah. I think, I mean, for a lot of women when they're actually breastfeeding for the first time is probably the first time they've really been up close and personal with breastfeeding. Yeah. So that's a really, yeah, that's a really good, Good advice. And if there isn't
1: a little meeting near you, go find some like find a parenting group and look at your community centers.
0: Mm. And
1: um yeah, it's it's and there's there's a there's there's so many bad books out there. Yes. <laughs> but there's some good books too. <laughs> the classic womanly art of breastfeeding is great. And um breastfeeding made simple by Nor- Nancy Moorbacher, that's great. Those, okay. those two are really great books for that are easy to read The chapters are broken down simply. Um, so you can read them while you're pregnant and then they're also handy to have, you know, after the baby's born.
0: Awesome. Yeah. I'll link those into the show notes so that people can find those. Yeah. Um, and then I often get asked about diet and how diet can contribute to like low milk supply or raising your milk supply. Would you have any thoughts on that? Right. I tell parents not to eat
1: pot brownies because it's not good for the baby. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, that's my joke. Um, (laughs) I'll keep my day job. Um, So for the most part, I do not like to have parents go on these restricted diets and think that – you know, they have to eat this, or they can't eat that.
0: Yeah, I eat agree. the food
1: you enjoy, unless you go to fast food all the time. That's just that's just that's, that's a bad example for your child, and, and it's just right. not good. You probably won't feel good. But like, eat the food you like to eat. You can eat spicy foods. Like people say, oh, I didn't, I didn't have any vegetables. Why? It'll make my baby gassy you know what would make your baby more gassy than 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 vegetables is dairy. Dairy has big proteins in it and that's more likely to make a baby gassy. Do I tell people they shouldn't have dairy? Absolutely I do not unless somebody in the family has a dairy allergy and every time you eat a slice of cheese your baby breaks out. <laughs> you know, right. like cuz that's so, clear. <laughs> right. Enjoy the food you like and if you found that there was that your baby got fussy or had a breakout keep a food journal and kind of say, well, Oh my goodness. Every time I ate an orange, my baby was fussy that night. So you don't eat oranges for a few days and see if it makes a difference. Then eat an orange. And like, for example, that's, that's one strategy. Everybody's looking for that special food. That's going to make them make more milk than they need. And before, if your milk supply is lower, if you want to increase your milk, the way to make more milk is to take milk out of your breasts. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, limiting time at the breast, that's gonna reduce your milk supply. So drinking Blue Gatorade or taking fenugreek is not going to make more milk for uh, for probably ninety-nine and a half percent of the people. You always hear with somebody, oh, I I had Blue Gatorade and I made and I made tons of milk or I had this unicorn drink somewhere and it made more milk or I had (laughs) Greek. I've had people take fenugreek and have their milk supply go low or just cause upset stomachs. Right. And I want to go back to another thing. And one of the, one of the um, cultural things that gets in the way of breastfeeding, which is controversial is sleep training. Okay. So when we're telling babies, when we're having babies, not nurse for, you know, 10, 12 hours, and we're not taking milk out of our body for 10, 12 hours. Dad tells our body not to make milk. It slows down milk production. Interesting. And th- what made me think of that is that a lot of people, like they want to sleep train their baby, but then they want to make enough milk during the day and their bodies won't do it. So they, what can I drink? What can I eat? What can I take? You can take your baby to bed with you and nurse them. Um, you know, that doesn't work for everybody if if you if you want your baby to sleep for long stretches, then pump your milk if you want your baby to have breast milk
0: yeah, so with sleeping um do you think it's best to do co sleeping i I think
1: it depends on the family
0: yes there's, yeah.
1: there's different families I worked with a couple yesterday um and the, the, mom, the mom was home and she's like, oh, it feels so good to lay down, but I'm afraid I'm creating a bad habit. I'm like, you're not creating a bad habit. And we talked about all the, like, all the safety. Like, you know, you want to um, make sure that the, the mattress is firm. You're breastfeeding. There's, breastfeeding is an important element. And I said, and your partner doesn't smoke, right? And she's like, well, actually, my partner does smoke. And I'm like, well, that, then your partner can't sleep in the same bed. You, your baby can't sleep with a smoker. And why, why is that? there's a risk. It's a, increases the risk for SIDS okay. exponentially. I, the, um, if you have one cigarette, you're off, like coming out of your lungs, out of your breath is, um, I think it's carbon. I always forget if it's monoxide or dioxide, I think it's whatever it's oxide. Okay. That's coming out of your lungs for a good 24 hours after one cigarette.
0: Okay. So, so it's toxic. Okay. Yes, <laughs> of course. And,
1: and when they look at SIDS research, Cigarettes are one of the biggest factors cigarettes and not breastfeeding
0: interesting okay so
1: when when a, when a parent is nursing, the way the baby and parent attune to each other when they're breastfeeding is different if they 're not. The way a baby sleeps when they're breastfeeding is different than if they 're getting formula. They sleep differently how so um it's they, they it's almost like they go into um, a uh, a deeper, less aware sleep. And people think, Oh, isn't that good? Well, it's not actually good for survival, but yeah. <laughs> um, and, and babies, babies and, and their, their breastfeeding parent are, are in tune to each other. They, they've done studies where they'll say um, how many times did you wake up to nurse your baby? And they might say, Oh, I woke up two times. And during the study where they videoed them, They, the, the baby latched on six times and went back to sleep and everybody slept, but the baby, the baby and the breastfeeding parent are connected and they, they like there, there is more sleep.
0: That's awesome. Yeah. That's great to know.
1: And, and I say that to people and they're like, I could never sleep with my baby. And when I'm with a family, I like to show them how to safely lay down and make, make sure that the, the room is safe so that they have that in their tool bag because it is not safe to fall asleep sitting up on a soft couch with a baby in your arms. Right, That's not safe. Or to sleep on a couch with a baby. You want a firm mattress, like a regular mattress. And um. Any, anyway, I could get into the whole co-sleeping thing. I've explored that, done that, and researched it a lot because because it gets demonized. And most people end up sleeping with their baby. And I feel very strongly that even if you think you're not going to, most everybody ends up doing it and you need to know how to do it safely.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's an important conversation to have. Yeah. Well, I think I maybe have asked you all of the questions I wanted to ask. Do you have anything else that you want to definitely touch upon? Um, I don't think so. I think we covered so much. Yeah. Thank you so much. This is very informative.
1: Oh, one, one thing I just thought of this only because I was at the dentist this morning Mm -hmm. that there is this idea that if you are um, taking medication or if you have a glass of wine that you can't breastfeed.
0: Ah, yes, that is actually very, very good. So, um,
1: unless, unless you can't handle your alcohol and you, maybe you're an active alcoholic, you shouldn't be breastfeeding and drinking alcohol, but most people can have a glass of wine with a meal, you know, they could have a drink. You don't want it. Like you don't want to go out and do shots. You don't want to get drunk, you, but you can have, like you could have some wine with dinner, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, and most medication is compatible with breastfeeding. If, if you have to have a procedure where you have medication, you consult your doctor. If they don't know, or if they, A lot of times they just say, no, you can't, you can't breastfeed. You have to pump and dump because they just can't be bothered to look it up or they don't know. They don't want a lawsuit, but there are, there are lots of resources that can give you alternative medications or let you know the true safety of medication. Okay. So
0: that's important. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Just do, do the research.
1: Yeah. And you can always reach out. There's, um, you could call a La League leader. You could call an IBCLC and most will have resources um, at their fingertips or close by can get back to you with, if you know exactly what medicine you're taking. I've okay. talked to many people about that. Yeah.
0: That's good to know. Yeah. Well, I don't know if you would you know, want to open this up, but um, if people wanted to get in touch with you, if they wanted to talk to you or work with you, Oh, sure. Yeah. If you want to share how they could get in touch. Yeah.
1: So um, they could email me at my, um, through my website, which is com. Okay. Um, it's very, I, ha- I do have a Leanne O'Connor IBCLC Facebook page and some people contact me that way. Mm-hmm. Um, both those are probably the easiest way to have have people reach out. And my email is linked to my, to my website.
0: Okay. And, um, yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Sure.
1: Thank you. It was a pleasure chatting with you.
0: Yeah, you too. It was great. Hi, everyone. Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode. I hope you enjoyed it and found it as informative as I did. I would love to hear your feedback. Um, Feel free to leave a review on iTunes or reach out to me via email. Um, It's services at gmail.com. I really would love to hear positive, negative, neutral. Let me know. Love to talk to you. Um, On another note, I have been thinking a lot about this podcast and how so many people that I've gotten to talk to have gotten into this work because of the experiences that they've had with breastfeeding or through their birth or postpartum. And I just think that's really cool to note that this is such a transformative time and such a huge experience. And we really need to recognize that and honor what's going on. Um, Just just a little thought I've been having and I, I hope to continue to honor these processes through this podcast and through hearing people's stories um really please share them um reach out I'd love to love to talk to you and love to support you telling your story and stay tuned for next week thanks so much for listening bye